Casino number 10 with Inspector Elise Robinson, who has no idea what she's let herself in for, <laughs> but that's marvellous. So she's a police officer. She's been a detective. She has also been a football fern. She's currently at the rank of Inspector in the Waitamata District as an operations manager. And I have to say this from the troops, when I spoke to the troops about who I was interviewing, they said that she's the person who always seems to have a smile on her face no matter what's going on. So there you go. Uh, so what we do is, to start off with, we have the pop quiz hotshot round. Ooh. All right, so we get to know you a bit better. So what's the book that you're reading at the moment? Well, I've just finished a book, um, and they're by uh, Kyle Mills. Uh, it's a series uh, around a CIA agent um, called Mitch Rapp. Oh, yes, read them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very good. Yep. All good. Uh, for obvious reasons, we've got to go with your favourite football team, and not only why your favourite, why they're your favourite football team, but your favourite player from that team. <laughs> it's Manchester United, and my favourite player was David Beckham. And on par with Ryan Giggs back nice. in the day. Uh, the best cop show of all time is? Oh, no. Best cop show. Um, that's a hard one. I like the, is it, uh, goodness, the one with Tom Selleck and he's the commissioner. What's that called? Ooh, goodness. Um, Chicago. No, no. Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods. There we go. Yep. Yep. Favourite athlete is or was? Uh, that is a good one. Uh, Barbara Kendall, actually. Nice. Yeah. And the Hibiscus Coast resident as well. Okay. Ah, there you go. Uh, your childhood idol was? Ooh. Uh, childhood idol was probably Buck Shelford. There you go. Yeah. Mm. Barbara Kendall, Buck Shelford. Just tick all the boxes here. Uh, what's your social media guilty pleasure? Podcast or Facebook page or? Um, well, I, I'm... Facebook, I was slow to join, uh, but now my favourite's actually um, Instagram. Hmm. Yeah. Anybody in particular that you follow there? Um, generally just family. I've got family in Norway. Um, so, yeah, just keeping in touch with them. Um, but I follow pretty much anything that's all blacks right, on Instagram. Right, nice. <laughs> um, So your policing career starts in what year? 2002. You go to what station? Uh, Henderson. Beautiful. And after, I'm guessing, because all cops are the same, after a stint on General Duties Branch, mm -hmm. you go to... Comms. There we go. Communication yep. Centre. Yep. yep. And then from comms to where? Back to the GDB. Mm -hmm. And then to road policing. And then back to GDB. And then off to uh, be a detective. Beautiful. And then from detective to... Uh, promotion. Uh, to a sergeant to yep. the North Shore mm -hmm. uh, and then back to the CIB as a detective sergeant and then uh, to a senior sergeant at Auckland City and then uh, most currently to inspector back in uh, Waitamata. There you go kids, so that's how you do it when you want to join the police and you'd like to go a little bit further than senior constable, that's how you get to inspector, <laughs> alright? Uh, so now, you like lots of us have been assaulted on the job mm. and I read about one incident in particular after a domestic dispute, mm -hmm. which left you with a broken broken ribs, mm. a broken thumb, and bruising. Mm. So the question is, not what does that feel like, because I think we've all broken bones in a yeah. sports game. It hurts. It freaking hurts, yeah. But how do you bounce back from those injuries and also the psychological effects? Because it's not like being on a sport field uh, where, for instance, you know, if you've got a sore ankle, you go, oh, I'm just going to have to grit it out here and see if it holds together. Yep. What was it like going back? Um, 
well, I had a few weeks off to recover and then I was on light duties and I think what helped me is that I was able to go back to work on light duties and uh, work back at the public counter and start interacting with people again. Um, we also have a really great welfare system uh, in the police and so I utilised that welfare system um, because I won't lie, it's a scary situation and yeah. it takes a lot to then once you're fully physically healed to then um, be back out in the ICAR and you know, you hear the, the job come in and it sounds similar to what you attended when you got uh, injured and you have to really kind of work hard to um, go through the front door again. Yep. Um, but it's just like, you know, you fall off your bike, you get back on it. Um, and also the great thing is your team and the police family uh, is very tight and um, also help a lot. Um, but for me, it was all about talking about it and just um, being aware that, yeah, there were some impacts, not just physically, but mentally as well. Yeah. Uh, and do you still get... Um, I know with some of my incidences, I still get flashbacks every now and then. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. At, at the most random of times and the most yeah, unusual yeah. places, and you're yep. thinking, why am I thinking about that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. You gotta love it. Yeah. It's uh, unfortunately it's one of those uh, occupational hazards, I think. But like you say, if you talk to people, you can manage it. I think is probably the best term. Yeah. Absolutely. What's the hardest thing you've ever done in the police in your career? For me, I always found the hardest thing was to knock on someone's front door and tell them that a loved one had passed away. Um, that was always, particularly if it was sudden and not expected, um, very difficult. One comes to mind with a young, a young woman who was 23 who had three children to this young man who'd been killed on a work site. Uh, and I knocked on the door and she said, uh, why are you knocking? Just come in. I know you're late for dinner. And I knocked again and uh, she came to the door and she saw me. She was holding a baby, had a three-year-old and was also pregnant. Uh, and she saw me and she almost dropped her child. And I grabbed the child and grabbed her uh, because she knew instantly that something was wrong. And as I went into the, into the, the modest house uh, and the, the you know, lovely dinner on the table all, all ready to be served for her husband to come home. So mm -hmm. uh, very difficult. Yeah, and I've got to say, I think for me, that's still one of the hardest things as well. I remember myself having to go to an incident where I had to tell a gentleman that his father had passed away on Christmas Day. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, it's really difficult. Um, but that said, what advice would you give to anybody who wants to join the police? Um, come along. It's a fantastic career. Um, there are so many different aspects to policing. Uh, so many different avenues that you can take um, but the greatest gift of being a police officer and the real privilege is you get to impact people's lives in a real way um, you may not know that lasting impact you may not find out that lasting impact but um, I know as a police officer um, I make a difference yep and I've got to say completely concur with you there as well now when I started off at my first station and I'm not going to mention where it was but we used to have a grumpy old senior sergeant who used to pull us in and say, if I had my way, I wouldn't have recruits at this station because we're far too busy and blah, blah, blah. And in actual fact, I'd much rather have a veteran. His speech for females at the time, and we have to remember that it was in the mid-90s, was not only would I not have recruits, but I certainly wouldn't have women here either. Um, so... I know it's been, I know, because you and I are about, roughly about the same time phase, I know that we've certainly improved out of sight as mm. an organisation. Absolutely. And um, that's a tremendous thing as far as I'm concerned. But have you had any such sort of similar tales where you've gone, seriously, you, yeah, 
you've got to be kidding me. We live in the like, yeah 21st century, and yep. we're still hearing this. Yep. Uh, yeah, I've I've had a couple of incidents actually um, when I first started to look at uh, promotion. Uh, an actual fact um, and in each of my promotions so we're in 2017 when I got my last promotion uh, each and every time uh, there have been certain persuasions within within our uh, police family that have uh, stated well you just got the job because you're a female yeah. I'm part of a quota system yeah, yeah. Um, and to be honest I just put them in their place and basically say well if you've worked as hard as me then if it's a quota system then so be it but the reality is I'm good at my job and I work I work hard but um, yeah it takes it takes a while to um, I think weed out some of the bigoted nature of some of our officers Um, but we continue to do that through our um, through our values and um, while we're still making a path that way, we are a heck of a lot better. And I mean, I can say that, and I'm sure the boss won't mind, but we've just had two further women promoted to AC level, Assistant Commissioner level. So Superintendent Tush Penny is going to be an Assistant Commissioner, as is um, Superintendent Sue Schwolger, who will be joining um, Super, uh, sorry, uh, AC Sandra Venables. So there's a little saying that I've heard recently, is, and particularly when it comes to women and promotion, and it's not just within police, it's within within all, um, prof- uh, you know, both private and public sectors, is that the first woman promoted is a token, the second woman promoted to the same level as a gesture, and when you get the third woman promoted, you're making absolute sustainable change. And can so. you tell how passionate Elisa is about that? <laughs> I love that because you push some people's buttons and they're sort of like, yeah, 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 but the, you've just got to know which button to push and with you that was it and I love yes. it a bit, it's great. Um, <laughs> and congratulations to those two ladies as well and a special shout out to AC Schwalger who's I have just um, caught up with. We actually know one another's cousins, so there you go. Ah, there you go. Yeah, both great ladies, top ladies. Are they what? So, right. So let's get a little bit into the football football career. (laughs) Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Many years ago, team. Many years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, Cox, uh, Maya Ham, Emily Drum, so Terry McCall, Mm -hmm. Jill Corner, Mm -hmm. another police officer. Another police officer. Yeah. Name just a few, and according to some, and according to the research I could find. Apparently you were a player who enjoyed, and I quote, man-marking GDs. You're the Vinnie Jones of uh, <laughs> women's football, eh? Yeah. Yeah, so, selected for the Football Ferns. Yes. Uh, for the Pacific Cup in the year 2000. Yes. What was that like? Because that's a thrill being there for your country, I've got to be honest. Oh, absolute thrill. Um, I mean, I was, I kind of fell into football. I was actually playing rugby. And a little tidbit about me, I was the first girl to trial for uh, roller mills, which is the under 12s in North Harbour. Yes, yeah. Um, well. When I was 11 or 12, roundabout. Um, and when I got to high school, I was still playing, but I had to stop uh, when I was about 15 because I was starting to get a little bit too hurt with the big boys as they get quite big by the time mm-hmm. they're 15. So the first 11 coach at Mahorangi College, where I went to school, came in to me and said, Oh, can you come and play some football? You look pretty athletic we don't really have anyone in the backs that can you know be strong and you play rugby so can you come along and unbeknownst to me there was actually I did I came along we're playing Kristen and unbeknownst to me was a uh, selector for New Zealand secondary schools and based off that one game I got invited to um, to a trial and then from there it kind of set the path um, for me and uh, yeah I was lucky enough to place uh, for some uh, the under 17s New Zealand under 17s and New Zealand 20s I was of an era, and I'm sure Jill and Terry and Amanda Crawford and the likes and um, Ms Cox would back me up, it was a time where 
particularly my career, where women's football really wasn't um, given its day in the sun. Uh, so there was a lot of training camps, but not many games. Um, so we all worked very hard. And originally in the 2000, um, when I got selected to play, um, it was prior to the Sydney Olympics. And I actually had missed out to a young woman called Rebecca Smith, who would go on and play a lot for the um, football ferns. Very, very good player. Um, so I was quite devastated and then two weeks later I was very elated because unfortunately Rebecca got injured and I got back into the team. Um, so yeah, it was incredible. Uh, we got we played against China, I got to play against the United States uh, where we lost 8-0. I uh, got to mark Mia Hamm and um, uh, Brandy Chastain. Alright, um, no, hang on for a second because according to my research, you've lost, you've given yourself some goals there. <laughs> it was only 5-0. Was it five? I yeah. thought it was eight. So Maybe it was played, China, it was eight. Yeah, there was a lot of goals yeah. being scored. So sadly, it's 3-0 at the end of the first half, mm. and then another two in the second half. Right. You come on in the 67th minute. Yeah. Yeah, there you go, look at this, yeah. And Cindy Parlow goes and scores a hat trick yeah. in that game as well. Yeah, I was marking her at one point as well. They had like three, they they had um, Mia and um, yeah, um, Cindy Parlow playing right up front and they had Brandy coming through from the middle and it was just like yeah you just I've never seen women move so fast Floodgate yeah, Who shirt did you get? I didn't get one unfortunately Oh there you go no. right. We didn't even get to keep our own Yeah 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 and like <laughs> I said to you before my mum played women's football probably a generation or two before what you played it in mm. you know um, a lot of that lip service to women's sport luckily now is beginning to disappear Absolutely but it's still not an equal playing field for my liking. Yeah. Uh, there's still, uh, for instance, you look at the All Blacks and the way they get televised on TV and then you have the Black Ferns. A big shout out to my buddy Anna Richards, uh, <laughs> who, you know, is still being given some lip service as a curtain raiser, mm. pretty much. Um, so, yeah, so can you remember how you felt coming off the pitch? Because it's your, your big moment and you've yeah. just been hammered 5-0. Um, um, and let's be honest, I mean, I know you like, and I, you know, get back to the man-marking duties, but 5-0, <laughs> and I've played I don't football think before, I had yeah. much man-marking. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was any marking no. or anything else going on that No, day. no, it felt like I um, I was running in circles. It, to be honest, it felt like I was running shuttles from the 18-yard box uh, to <laughs> to the to the halfway constantly. Um so no, I, it's it's interesting. Um, I th I think back. I, I was super proud that my dad was there. So my dad um, came to every single, pretty much every single one of my games. Um, so he got to see that, which cool. and had supported me. So I was, I felt really proud of that, and that he got to see that happen. Um, I was exhausted, to be honest, even though I only played like the last whatever however minutes it was. Yeah. Um, I'll send you the link to the Yeah, thanks. Um, Great. American, I didn't even know. American it. football oh. website, it's still a big talking point. Oh, today. good, good. You, you, can't, you can't find anything of it on New Zealand football websites, but the Americans, it's like a big game for some reason. But yeah, I was elated, to yeah. be honest. I, I mean, I had worked since I was, you know, probably about 15 um, towards that, because I had to make a decision between cricket and um, and soccer, and I, and I made more, started making New Zealand teams with, um, with soccer, so I kind of went that way, and I just loved it. I loved the physical nature of it and the competition. I was gutted to lose. Um, I'm extremely competitive. I have managed to temper that as I've got older. Um, but if you'd known me 20 years ago, I couldn't even lose at a, a game of snap. Uh, so back then, too, um, extremely competitive. So bitterly disappointed that we lost. But it wasn't through lack of effort. It was just the skill levels between the two and the funding and the, and the coaching and um, just a world apart. So $64 million question for you is... A semi, well, no, you were a semi-professional athlete and also a police inspector. Mm. How do you get over that disappointment? 
in life? Because everybody's got a different mm. way of getting over the dis- disappointment. How do you get over it? Um, well, the biggest disappointment for me actually came, I managed to get my work my way back into the New Zealand team. I went over to the United States and went to university there and played um, Division Two, uh, Division One football at, at university and, and played semi-professionally in the W2 league in, in North Carolina. Came back... Um, a bit broken, had some knee injuries, joined the police and then worked my way back in through Lenavon and uh, managed to get into the training squad uh, in preparation, I think if I've got my timing right, I don't always get it right, but in preparation for the Beijing Olympics in 2008 and I was playing for North Harbour training for the New Zealand team, training and playing with Lenavon uh, and trying to work shift work, <laughs> anyone anyone who was looking in could yeah. have said ah, you're going to fall over, yeah. no no I'll be fine yeah. uh, had that incident where I got my ribs broken yeah. and um, was trying to frantically work back to get fit and anyway ended up with quite severe glandular fever which um, ended my ability to stay in the New Zealand team and missed out on the Olympics so that I suppose was the the culminating moment where I, it's, it was a grief it was a grief um, yeah. it was very sad to, to lose that opportunity um, and that you had worked so hard for but it also instills resilience and it also instills um, how privileged I was and I am and the opportunities that I was given. So I kind of look back on it, yes I didn't achieve the goal of going to a World Cup or, or an Olympics but hey I got to play for New Zealand um, and I worked really hard for that and I was rewarded for that. So. Um, I look back on it with with fondness, and yes, there's a grief period, but you, you work through that. Um, and I was lucky I had to play something else I was passionate about as well. And I managed to continue coaching for a while. Um, that's a bit on the back burner at the moment, but coaching also enabled me to um, help the likes of some of the uh, young rear Pervicle, who was still part of the New Zealand Ferns, the uh, football Ferns. Yep. Yep. So, um, and a few a few others that I got to play with and, and play alongside as well. So they're all still in the team. So you kind of get to live vicariously through them as well. And as a sports, one sports coach to another, isn't coaching way more frustrating than playing? <laughs> oh gosh, yes. Right, and I'm very vocal too, yeah, and I have to be very careful because I generally coach kids. So uh, yeah. yeah, you have to be you have to be quite uh, quite careful and and balancing the the. You know the need to want for my need to win and uh, their need to participate. So, um, can I give you a piece of advice that Mark Graham, the famous New Zealand rugby rugby league coach, yeah, yeah, and yeah, gave me? He said, uh, take a packet of chewing gum, take the entire packet of chewing gum, put it in your mouth, and chew on it. And he said, stress levels down, can't say anything. So there we go. (laughs) That's a good point. Um, So obviously not playing anymore. No. Uh, Not even summer football. No, no, too many knee injuries. Yep. Mm. And there's also that wonderful moment in every sort of athlete's career where the brain goes yeah I've got this and the body goes no you won't uh, yeah so anyway so let's move the clock off that subject real quick because Elise is only 26 oh and I wish so, so you're an operations manager now for an entire police district so I guess our next 64 million dollar question is what the hell does an operations manager do it's a really good question Brian what do I do um so for me I Above me is is my supervisor, uh, Rod Fraser, and he's the district operations and support manager. So he has the overall district overview. But I look after some some district teams. Um, One of them is called our criminal justice support unit. So they are the great team that 
pretty much put together all the prosecution files. So when the team out in the cars uh, arrest someone and they're going to be going to court, the uh, CJSU prepare all the files for them. I also have the um, investigation support unit who will do our initial investigations for a lot of our um, theft deck shop, anything with CCTV where we record offending, uh, our burglaries and bits and pieces. They put files together for our um, other investigation teams to look into. I have the file management centre which is pretty much a hub of anything that's uh, got a file number on it, uh, anything to do with data quality, uh, which sounds very boring and quite frankly I don't really understand it, but um, <laughs> yeah, all, all to do with um, and putting a lot of the um, relevant information that's important for police officers on the road to see and, and get their hands on, so through our, our um, systems on the computer. So it's a really, um, I suppose it's the inner workings of yep. the police, not so much um, externally, but I have some nice partnerships with the um, District Health Board in relation to some of our mentally unwell people and how we can work better with them and vice versa to, to help protect uh, the mentally unwell people that we deal with an awful lot. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff. Now I know that you work, and I work some fairly good hours, but I know that you work some horrendous <laughs> hours. Ah, uh, right. So what, let's say, what is your average day look like? And I know there's, everybody goes, there's no such thing as an average day. So tell me what your tomorrow looks like. As best as you can remember. My tomorrow looks like. So what's um, your tomorrow look like? My tomorrow looks like, so generally coming from the gym, getting ready, grab some breakfast, I wander around each of my work groups. So out in Henderson, my CJSU, ISU, FMC, I go and say good morning to the team, see if there's any issues or anything that's happened overnight. Um, I'll come back and I will start to attack probably the 80 emails that are sitting there mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. require um, require some attention. Um, I'll make sure that I'm up to the play with our performance data, um, I'm up to the play with where our data quality team is at. Um, and then it'll be, Rod might have a few bits and pieces that I need to get across. Um, tomorrow will also incorporate me preparing some stuff for a recruiting seminar coming up. So I've got the recruiting portfolio as well, um, which, you know, we're trying to recruit our 1800. So um, that's my responsibility for this district. And um, yeah, and again, it'll take probably an afternoon walk down to the muster room to see the troops and see how they're going. And is there anything that, you know, they're noticing that they could we could improve in CGSU and bits and pieces. So look at that kind of um, quality control aspect and continuous improvement. I don't get down there as much as I probably should. Um, do you remember what it was like when you were a constable and the inspector used to come down and talk to you? Uh, yeah, it would be like um, mice scattering from a cat. Yeah, um, yep. So that, yeah, which is interesting and funny you should say that because when I first put my pips on and people would walk past and go, good morning mum, and I'm looking, who are they talking to? Oh, they're talking to me. Yeah, or yep. they would see you coming and they'd turn around yep. and it's just like, I'm, I'm a normal person, it's okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, so it's changed a lot since then. Um, yeah, we're far yeah. more um, accessible and we make ourselves far more accessible because yeah. um, that's the only way to really, you know, the sharp end of the police is, is the guys you see in uniform and the ICARs going to the jobs, helping the community. So if I want to do my job well, I need to stay in touch. Um, so I always try and get out and about at least once a month with, with the team. Yeah, now on that note, I do have to apologise for these staunch uh, police lights, as I call them that will be listening that are saying, you know, should really be calling 
um, Elise Mom. Oh, um, no. She's in she's in my car, uh, and when I, when we're in Constable Brian's car, we don't have a thing as rank. Mm. Second we step out, we're all good with it. Uh, but yeah, so at the moment, it's just yeah. But so they take it as Mom, okay? We, even when I say Elise, so that's yeah. No, Elise is much yep. better than Mom. And you're definitely right. Um, that's certainly improved. I can remember where we used to have to. Basically, the second the inspector walked in, we'd have to stand up yeah. and almost semi-salute. And yeah, yeah. yeah so, Please don't do that for no, me. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, it's got its comedy value, but yeah, hang on. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you're the recruiting manager as well as the ops manager. Mm. What's the biggest hurdle that you see with people wanting to join the police? I just like to see if it's the same as mine. I think it's access to us and yeah. understanding. Um, you know who we are and what we are. I think I think we need more points of contact than we currently yeah. have. So we, I mean we've got our great website, um, but you know that's not really a person. It's it's mm-hmm. it's touching. Well, not touching, but yep, <laughs> being close to saying, yeah. and being able to interact with real police officers in an environment that's not a crisis. Yeah. Um, and in an environment where we can answer their questions around the recruiting and share some of our some of our stories and, and what it's like to be in the place. I think that's what they crave and a yep. lot of the time it's it's very difficult to, to enable that to happen. Um, but you just have to prioritise it, which we're trying to do in this district and I know that's what we're trying to do across TM as well, yep. Tamaki Makoto. So for counties, Monaco and for Auckland City as well. So uh, for me it's pretty much exactly the same. And that and I've got to be honest, some of the lame excuses people give me when they say, oh, I was going to join the police, but I couldn't do the run. Uh, my answer to that is, you didn't yeah. want to do the run then. Exactly. So, yeah, so if you really can and you really want to do it, you'll get the job done. Um, and like Elisa said, um, yeah, sure, we don't have lots of points of contact on the ground, but take the initiative, do what the young chap did this afternoon, popped up to our station and said, I'm wanting to join the police, I'd love to join the dive squad, it will be a dog handler, uh, to which I laughed and I had pictures of a dog and him underwater uh, he said no 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 yeah. but then when I explained to him he'd have to do frontline and everything else he walked away and went cool now I've got it sorted I'm going to have to decide which one and everything else so yeah go up and see visit, visit your local station mm. talk to them about what you want to do or stop a police officer in the street and say I'm thinking about joining just be aware of they might be busy at the time no yeah and uh, have a chat to them so in five years time where's Inspector Robinson going to be? Um, in five years' time, I'm not really a great planner, which I used to be. Um, so for me, I think my well, I'm off down to Counties Monaco uh, oh. as the operation manager down there. Uh, I've got a job down there. God's, so, God's country. God's country. Slightly. Yes. Sorry so, for all my water, brothers and sisters. Yeah. <laughs> so that that will give me the opportunity of worked in all three Auckland districts, which is fantastic. Um, they're all they're all different and vibrant. Um, but for me, I think yeah, I, I would like to be an area commander. Um, so this is my spiritual home, so to speak, in, in Waitakere. So I would love an opportunity to be the area commander. Excuse me, oh, I didn't go, turn yeah. my That's all right. phone off. No worries, it's all good. So, so obviously coming back to your homeland would be the, the big goal. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. If you couldn't have your homeland, mm. Uh, probably my second favourite bearing in mind I haven't worked in counties yet so it might change um, I wouldn't mind uh, Central Auckland Erie Command yep. as well uh, so that that's um, something I'm, I'm interested in as well ok right so the question that we always kind of almost wrap up on is this uh, it's the day of reckoning and it's your eulogy being delivered <laughs> oh, what would you like people to say about 
I guess it will because even then they'll still refer to you as Inspector or Superintendent Alex Robinson and then hopefully <laughs> hopefully, if you continue to do what you're doing you may even be lucky enough to have a few little letters after your name as well right so Maybe. what will they say about mm. Elise Robinson in the future well sorry in the future at that day at what would you like day? them to say um, that she was authentic um, and that what she said she would do she did um, and did it what the boys have said and the girls have said with a smile on her face um, and for the betterment of, of the front line for the troops yeah. that easy yeah. Right, so there you go. That's us, Inspector Elise Robinson. Thank you very much for taking the time because I know it's been difficult the first time we did this. And that's why you guys got the question and answers session with Constable Brian. Uh, Elise, that's right. Elise was busy at court. Um, but do, please do, if you've got any questions you want answered, fire them through. If you've got some people that you think, hey, maybe you might want to interview these people in the place, fire them through as the sort of love gets spread out about the cappuccino. I'm actually having more people come towards me and say, Oh, yeah, I'll talk to you about that, which, as Elise can testify, mm. is a miracle because normally police officers don't say anything to anybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so just fire those questions through. So thank you very much for your time today. Uh, and we'll look forward to cappuccino number 11 when that happens. Right, um, and hopefully Elise and I will see you at the recruiting night. And uh, you said it was going to be at Henderson Station? Henderson, yeah, on the uh, 10th of October. All right, so bring your questions along and any other details you might have. And if you're lucky enough, uh, you may even get to have your picture taken with Elise on the night. All right, okay then. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. How I wonder what you are.